one and all. It's TSN 690 Game Night OT. Dave Kaufman, Jay Farrar, John Kakalakis, and the birthday boy, Jimmy G. How you doing, buddy? Everything is well. How are you, Dave, Jay, John? I'm honored that this is how you would want to spend your birthday. I'd love to be here. I always love being here with you, Dave, with you, Jay, with you, John, every Monday night slash Tuesday morning. That's right. That's right. Well, it's great, man. I, I wish I had thought we would have. It's his birthday every Monday, Dave. Aw. Let's just be honest. That's right. Yeah. Every single Monday it's a is, gift. is Jimmy's birthday. It's a party. <laughs> Have you had a good birthday, Jimmy? Uh, yes, I've had a nice day. Yeah? You do Lots anything of cool? Lots phone calls. Uh, no, I didn't do anything cool, but Wednesday night, a couple of friends are coming over and we'll actually have a party. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Good stuff. In the meantime, guys, Jay, John, I think we should talk a little P.K. Subban. Because, you know, the, the clock, she's a ticking. She's a ticking. She's a ticking, ticking, ticking. What are we, and, uh, five days away? Yeah, and it's it's going to creep up quickly. Now, do you think we're going to see a signing before that, or do you think it'll be on on the day? Hard to say. Hard to say. I Either way, they're going to sign him. It's not going to be a problem. Everybody just calm down. Everything's going to be okay. They're going to sign him. I'm calm. Yeah. I'm calm. I think we, we saw examples this weekend that, first of all, he, I think kind of gave a carry Price-ish chill out everybody at the RBC Canadian Open this weekend. Yeah, uh, and, and a very charismatic <laughs> chill out, you know? And uh, it's good because he can get away with it, and, and deservedly so. Yeah, everybody calm down. Stop asking me questions. And people still ask him questions, of course. I, I found it so funny, you know? And of course he said, I'm here to talk about RBC. I'm not here to talk about... <laughs> My contract is to talk about so, my bank. This is, no, he said this is literally yeah, a day about a financial institution. That's what it is today. I was like, wow. This is today is about RBC. That's right, because you know the Molson Bank isn't around anymore. Right, it's on St. Jacques Street, but yeah. it's not there anymore. Yeah. So, either way, the, the, he was talking about him making money, even if he wanted to. Yeah, and even and, if he didn't want to, and anyway. he's going to make a lot of money, and. Jeff Molson is going to pay him a lot of money, and yeah. in return, Jeff Molson is going to make a lot of money off of P.K. Subban. Yes. Yes. And I that's mean, how it works. You notice how they got everything else done in advance. Right. Lars Eller, you know, they made a couple of signings, a couple of cheap signings. I they, like the Lars Eller deal. traded up with Daniel Briere. They signed Manny Malhotra. There's some good deals. That, and they're starting to look at some worthwhile players. A little bit of a Billy Bean attitude going with with Mark Bergevin. I think how how so? I don't know. He seems to be looking after players with um, that are not so expensive. Uh, you know, because he does have a cap to stay under because he hasn't signed PK yet. Uh, and they're all useful players, very interesting type players. Well, you there know? was something very Billy Beanish about uh, about Weaver and Wees. Yeah. I would say. But well, it, that's it. That's what I mean, you know. And now Malhotra. Uh, but I'm not putting any stock in, into saying that. I, I, the reason I'm saying that is because they're guys I hadn't heard of until they came here. And and then they did well. But I, I would assume that Bergevin knows more about hockey than I do. It's his job. Yeah. We hope we hope he does. Right. And and also has a scouting staff and a whole team of people out there to evaluate and to help judge these guys and decide yeah. who would be the best fit on the squad or not. Yeah. But the one thing that is not up for debate, that is not a question, is that the Montreal Canadiens have a hell of an asset in PK Subban. Mm -hmm. And they need to hold on to him. Mm -hmm. Well records... even if he scared the life out of me this weekend. Yeah. I mean the the the, the highest payout during arbitration ever was done by Shea Weber, I think. Um, when he signed his contract. My I issue think... with arbitration is is nothing except for the animosity felt after arbitration. People will get over it very quickly. And you know what? It's the way that he handles it, too. It could have easily gone bad the way he was answering the questions uh, at, at the golf tournament. But instead, he handled it with charisma, charisma 
That's the one. Jeez. Yeah. Well, two, it it two, happens when you talk strikes, a lot eh? one night, eh? Yeah. It two strikes, and they still threw me a fastball, and I got <laughs> it. I hit it. And uh, he handled it very well, and nobody said anything bad about him. There's some other players that come off the wrong way, especially when they're going to arbitration. I don't think it's going to happen to PKC, man. He's too well-loved in this city. You want to know why he scared the hell out of me this weekend? Why is that? I was at the Rogan Gala. Right. And at the end of it, and, and we're going to sort of go work backwards right now. I'm going to tell you about the end of the segment, uh, at the end of the gala, and then okay. I'll tell you about the start of the gala. Like a Jeopardy question, sort of, yeah. Okay. But the end of the gala was Seth Rogen saying that he needed to pander more to Canadians. So out comes Yuppie with a yeah. wheelbarrow of Timbits. <laughs> And starts chucking them into the crowd. Mm -hmm. And then all these girls show up with ketchup chips and I think uh, coffee crisps or Kit Kat coffee crisps. Yeah. Because those are exclusively Canadian, right? Yes. Okay. And those are being thrown out into the crowd. And then he says, no, that's not enough. We need the Stanley Cup. So out comes the, uh, it wasn't the normal guy that's with the cup. No, because that wasn't the cup. Well, there you go. Oh, okay. and, and that's Sorry, a, did I ruin your story? <laughs> no, you didn't ruin my okay. story. I think my story still holds true. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, P.K. Subban comes out with two pitchers of beer, fills the bowl of the Stanley Cup. Seth Rogen picks it up mm -hmm. and drinks, mm -hmm. puts it back down, and then P.K. Subban grabs a straw, comes over without touching the cup, yeah. and drinks from the bowl. Yeah. I was... Don't touch it. Don't... Just... Don't... don't did he just? No, no. He used a straw, right? He also. I got it. I went into like crazy fan, stu super stupid, super stupid, stupid superstitions. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I just. What's he? What's scares he doing? you? Huh? What's the cup doing there? <laughs> yeah, there are some things that you just don't do. He also poured the two pitchers inside without touching the cup as right, well. Right. Yeah. There was a bit of a splashback. Yeah. It was a really cool visual. It was a lot of fun. But the uh, start of the gala was your brother. Anakin Slade, yes. warming up the crowd. Yes. Wrote a little Just for Laughs rap. It was wonderful. Yeah. A and got the crowd totally pumped up. And, uh, well, revealed a little something about himself. At the end of the rap, he was uh, saying, <laughs> sort of ad-libbing with the crowd, and he's like, uh, let's now, let's do, uh, you know, call answer of things that I like. So yeah. when I say pad, you say tie. Sure. Pad, tie, pad, tie. When I say Carly Ray. You say Jepson? <laughs> so this one's for Anakin Slade. And only to, Anakin when Slade. I, and only Anakin Slade. When I used to play and talk about Anakin Slade on the show, we'd always play his Gary Carter song or his yeah. Expo song or one of the Hab songs. Now it's this. Huge congratulations to Anakin Slade. We're proud of you. Thank you for representing our city and doing such a great job on all the galas. This is TSN 690. We'll be back with some sports talk. Welcome back. It's Game Night OT on TSN 690. Let's get you an update on a few baseball scores. A couple of games still ongoing. Pittsburgh is up on uh, San Francisco. 5-0, middle of three. Boy, those Giants are slumping. 
something fierce the Dodgers are going to... And the Dodgers are just looking so great right now. Did you see Puig the other day? Yeah. Wow. Three triples. In Unbelievable. And a double. Uh, and a double. 11 total bases in one game. Has somebody hit three triples in a game before? That's is Yes, that... it's been done many times. Uh, the last time being in 2010. Okay, now, so it's more rare than a cycle then. It's, it's yeah, I, I'd have to look that up. I think it's more rare. It is more rare than Cycles a cycle. happen every year. Yeah. Four triples has yeah. happened twice. Wow. The last time in 1897. Oh, my goodness. Nobody has hit three triples for the Dodgers also, I think, since the late 19th century. Very quickly, our other score, uh, bottom of 14, Cincinnati and Arizona are tied at one. How do people complain about the excitement that this guy brings to the game? Yaziel Puig is so good for baseball, and people think he's showboating, that he's that he's too emotive. The guy almost had his arm chopped off trying to come to right. America to play baseball. Yeah, He was held captive by drug lords. <laughs> let, can't, can't make that stuff let up. Let the dude have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. It's a game. You're yeah. supposed to have fun. Back to our, our previous segment, my favorite thing about P.K. Subban, more than anything, is how happy he always is. Right. And same thing with Vladdy Guerrero. Same thing with Gary Carter. And same thing with Yaziel Puig. Exactly. And obviously, P.K. Subban doesn't come from the background that Yaziel Puig comes from. No, but, but he's aware of his environment, draw, and he knows how much fun it is, and he's relishing it. parallels between the two. Sure. A little bit unconventional, a little bit, you know, unorthodox in the celebrations, happy to be there, just loving the game. What is wrong with that? Right, yeah. right. I, I mean, and I wasn't trying to make a comparison between the two. Right. That, that wasn't the, the, the point of the no, exercise No, but I'm here. saying that you can. But, it's yeah. okay. It's okay because it's the same kind of thing that's going on between in the two sports. And the thing that I love the most is that they are happy. This is what you're supposed to see out there. I understand there are people that that, that want to see professionals, that want to see that, that stone-faced Peyton Manning all the yeah. time. Yeah, That sports is a business. Yeah. Well, this is something out there that reminds the kids out there that they're just big kids too. Right, right. I yeah. love that. I absolutely love that. Now, sad kids are probably the ones in Boston tonight. After yeah, well, the Blue they've been Jays put up two touchdowns year. on them. Yeah. Yeah, well, poor them. They they won the World Series last year. They'll be okay. They can yeah, rest yeah. on their laurels a little bit. I don't feel bad for them at all. Boston's still strong, uh, whether the Red Sox are good this year or not. Mm-hmm. And just allows people to go to Fenway Park. 14 runs on 14 hits. Yep. Yep. R.A. Dickey with the win. Two home runs for Melky Cabrera. From each side of the plate. Right. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's something that hasn't happened very often either. Exactly. You know? That's that's really good. I mean, the Jays, Jays are showing that you know injuries was a legitimate excuse for them. Well, not only that, from a with a skeleton team, they won a bunch of games this month. Yeah, they yeah. they are gelling, and here we go again. I am going to jinx the Blue Jays. No, you're not going to do that. Well, I'm not. I didn't do it intentionally last time. No. I had Alex Anthopoulos on and said, now yeah. let's welcome the it's all your fault. general manager of the first place Toronto Blue Jays, and they proceeded you to lose. You said first place. And they lost mm. three games in a row and fell out of first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, so they're I'm not in guy. first place right now, but they are tied for first place in the wild card spot. Yeah, which is... Uh, which I'm, is good, because even if you're in second place, you still get a game shot at it. You, so you know what not? it means right now? I believe they have seven or nine games left against the Orioles. Mm-hmm. It means that Toronto will get to see, and again, barring an epic collapse over the next couple of weeks, which I'm setting up by jinxing right now so we can go back and run the tape later, mm-hmm. meaningful September baseball. Yep. 
that's been, it's been a long time since there's been meaningful September baseball in Canada. Guys will be coming back as well that are on the disabled list. Bautista's been on a tear since he's come back from the All-Star game. So, you know, it's looking good. Well, and Cardassion's back soon, right? Yes, he will be. Okay, so he's... Yeah. On any other team, he'd be the best player on that team. Brett Laurie's doing, but I mean, he's not batting. He's not going to help. Well, much John anyway. Kakalakis was telling me before they uh, the Blue Jays traded for a third baseman tonight, right? Yeah, a certain Valencia from the Kansas City Royals. Well, there you go. That's big. That 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 tells a story about Laurie. That uh, maybe and by they're the worried way, about him, gentlemen. I did my research regarding the triples. Yasiel Puig became the 49th player to hit three triples in a game, wow. and as for the cycle, it's been done before 302 times. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. There you go. So it is much rarer. Yeah, so twice a season it happens. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. And again, I I love watching players like Yaziel Puig. Mm-hmm. Every sport has them. They don't have enough of them. Yeah. But I wish we could watch him more. And and the ability to combine Yaziel Puig and Vin Scully is something that's very cool. Yeah. That That kind of makes you thank God for MLB TV. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And also the clips that you can get from it. Scully has seen... <laughs> that's true, too. Yeah. Scully <laughs> When has, you're opping a show, I'm Well just put. Right, yeah. Is that where you go for your baseball clips in the morning? MLB.com. Yeah? Yeah, okay. good stuff. Always. So what time are you hitting that up? Like 5.30? Yeah, 4.30. 4.30. Yeah. It's fun. I like it. Good. Yeah. Good. I've got nothing else to do, Dave. At I can't go to sleep in between because I'll just... I'll die. So Oh, no up. way. I mean, yeah. you finish work at what time? Four? Four. So you're here at 4.30, and then yeah. the show starts at yeah. 7. And then Abe comes in, puts me back in a good mood, and then we go for it. The locker room. All right. Every Saturday and Sunday on TSN 690. 7 to 9. nine. <laughs> Along with Amanda Stein. Yes. Who's away right now. So Is she? Yeah, they've been. Oh, yeah. Campbell took over this weekend, right? Yeah. Campbell on Saturday and Eric Thomas on Sunday. Okay. And before that, it was Robin Flynn the week before. So oh, the Every, everybody's, everybody's pitching in. Fantastic. Yeah. That's cool. You know, I did that gig once. I know you did. They fired me. They yeah, well, no, they didn't. You, you probably deserved it. I definitely deserved yeah. it, but they didn't fire me. Yeah. Uh, best of luck. Thank you. I know you're going to be great. I'll need it. I will not be listening. Okay. I'll be asleep. I know. But I'll pretend like I'm listening. Okay. Well, just go to the archives. Well, that's exactly what I'll do. I'll yeah. go to the archives. You will do that zero times. <laughs> Jeeves, zero. to the archives. <laughs> it's Jimmy G's birthday. We're celebrating. It's Game Night OT on TSN 690.
that wasn't Vin Scully. That was Dave Van Horn. But Vin Scully was there 20, what, how many years, John? My math, 24? 23. 23 years ago today. Dennis Martinez, perfect game at Dodger Stadium. Welcome back. It's TSN 690's Game Night OT. Dave Kaufman, Jay Farrar, John Kakalakis, and the birthday boy, Jimmy G. I remember where I was. I was watching TSN. Yep, me too. I was watching TSN. I was watching Dave Van Horn. Yep. Dave, uh, and, and because of Dave doing the game on TSN, Elliot Price had the radio call. Yeah, that's right. Wow, all those years ago, too. Imagine, Elliot. I, remember, I was mowing the lawn. And my, my father yelled at me to come in here. We got something happening here. So we ran inside, and my brother and I, and we watched you know, we watched it happen. That's and amazing. What's funny is we had already tickets booked for when they came back to Montreal from that road trip in L.A. Uh, with my team, my baseball team. So we got to see him when he came back, and they presented him with a plaque. Yeah, there was like a poster that night that was yeah. given all the fans. Yeah, I yeah. used to have Somewhere it. I have it as well. But I was at that game when he first came back, and he got this huge standing ovation. It was great. I remember he was on Good Morning America the next day. Yes, he was. It was uh, it was a big deal. It was back when there weren't perfect games every season. No. No. Different era. Yeah. Different era. An absolutely different era. Trivia question, Jay. Yes. Do you remember who the catcher was? Yes, I do. Because it was the second perfect game that he caught. There you go. And his name was Ron Hassey. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Thank well you. done, Mr. Farrar. Do you know who the other perfect game was? Yes. It was for the Oakland A's. No. No, no was so. it? No. Okay. Or Cleveland Indians? Jimmy. Well, Jimmy knows. Cleveland Indians? Yes. I think it was Len Barker. Ooh, I yes, it was. Was it? Against the Toronto Blue Jays. Well oh, done. Oh, wow. Against the Jays. Oh, I don't remember that. All right. Well, look at that. See, even the Jays have their David Cohn. So See? we know we know Ron Hassey <laughs> has his, uh, that's right. Yeah. And David Cohn, they were just the anniversary of Cohn's perfect game. That's right. Against the Expos. Yes. Yeah. Well, we that's don't celebrate what, that one. <laughs> no, we don't celebrate that one. But that's, that's what kind of a rarity a perfect game is and what kind of a celebrated feat that that is that you actually remember. Every year we talk about this is the anniversary of the... Uh, perfect game. It's it was, just something uh, to behold. Last year, Expos Nation had the uh, that online poll, yeah. and the perfect game was named the most important moment in Expos history. Wow. I think that's, I mean, that's what I voted for. Hmm. For me, I, that's I don't the know. automatic. I don't know if I would go there. Making the playoffs? I, I yeah. Really? Making yeah. the playoffs? Yeah, I would go there. It was a perfect game. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Jimmy? I think Steve Rogers out Ewing Steve Carlton game five. Division Series 1981. Yeah. To qualify us to play against it, the Dodgers. Yeah, because this is... This so is, a quarterfinal. Winning the quarterfinals is the greatest moment? Well, it's the only time we've made it to the, the uh, championship series. As for a franchise... And Steve Carlton as well, you know, versus Steve Rogers. You know, it's like ace versus ace, and we come out on top. It, it depends on, as an individual feat. Twice for, that series. Yeah. Exactly. As an individual feat for an expo, yes, that's probably the most impressive. Most definitely the most impressive. But as for the franchise, what was the most important moment for a franchise? I think I agree with Jimmy. Hmm. John, what do you think? It has to be making the playoffs. Really? Wow. Outvoted three to one. Yeah. Wow. Tweet can, at me at the can, Kaufman Show. Yeah, you can leave now. Help Dave. me out. Yeah. All right. Fine. <laughs> I will. Uh, Jimmy's got an update for you. And then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about Tim Raines. And then we're going to play you Bruce Arthur and Tim Raines in conversation on TSN 1050. All that and more on Game Night OT.
Team Night OT on TSN 690. Kaufman, Farrar, Kakalakis, and the birthday boy, Jimmy G. You know, we're sitting here during Jimmy's update and uh, in the commercial afterwards, and we're we're talking numbers. We're talking about Jeter and how he, he passed Carl Yastrzemski tonight on the all-time hit list with, uh, I think he's at 3420 now, Jay? Yes. I think that's the number. And Ichiro is closing in on 3,000. And it's amazing how much baseball... The numbers mean something. I mean, they mean so much more in it than any other sport. Mm-hmm. I can tell you how many goals Gordy Howe had, but I can't tell you how many Gretzky finished with. No, that's correct. But it's starting to go that way, isn't it? How many home runs did uh, Barry Bonds finish with? Seven sixty-two. Yeah. See, but you, it's not as it's not seven fifteen. It's not seven fifty-five. No, no, exactly, you exactly. Know? So hopefully. The, that's not a trend in baseball that we start forgetting about the numbers because I think the numbers are so important. So when I say 808, does that mean anything to you? 808? Yeah. Uh, in what? In, are you talking about baseball? I am. 808. Yeah, and I'm hopefully not pulling this out of uh, the ether. I'm pretty sure I'm right with that number. 808. Not sure. I believe that that is the number of stolen bases by Tim Raines. Okay. Wow, that's impressive. I believe that that is the number. Okay. Uh, if John, if you could, uh, yep, fifth of all time, 808 stolen bases. There you go. So that's a number that has stuck with me. Unfortunately, it has not stuck with 75% of the baseball writers of, the, yeah. of America. Yeah. Tim Raines is in trouble, and he needs our help. Tim Raines is now two years away from being taken off the Hall of Fame ballot after the rules were changed this weekend. Players used to be on the ballot if they got more than 5% of the vote in their first year, they would be on the ballot for the next 15 years. They have now changed the rules to 10. Right. You know why, right? Um, well, I'll tell you my because theory. Because they're stupid? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's yes. A, because yeah. Well, yes, because you they're know, stupid, but because they're trying to get rid of the steroid era players as quickly yes, that's as exactly possible. It. Yes. Yeah. And I we had this conversation in the locker room over the weekend. Oh, actually. did you? Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so stupid. It's a shame. It's a shame. One of the uh, things that baseball did when they painted the brush of the steroid era was they didn't mete out any major penalties. These guys were retired, and they said, okay, we'll let the Hall of Fame deal with it. They can be the arbiters. They can be the judges, the gatekeepers. And we'll see if the Maguires get in, and the Clemenses get in, and the Bondses get in. Mm -hmm. And now the Hall of Fame goes and changes it from 15 to 10? Yeah. You know what? Forget about Tim Raines for just one second. I can't. I love Tim Raines. I know. So do I. But 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 just for half a second then. Okay. Barry Bonds is not going to be in the Hall of Fame. No. He I love this is it. I love Cooperstown. I love the Hall of Fame. We're going to be playing you the three Hall of Fame speeches from the three players who got in this year after midnight on the Kaufman Show because it's important. Mm-hmm. The history of baseball is something that is important. It's something that is universally embraced. It's why we know 714, and it's why I know 808. But Bonds is yeah. the greatest player in the history of baseball. And you put him in. Arguably. And you, well, fine. But but the fact is, he's in the argument. Mm-hmm. He's yes, a, he is. He's a Hall of Famer. Yes. Yeah. But I, And so is Tim Raines. Are they specifically going at Bonds with this rule? I think it's almost pretty much him, almost. It's Why? not, well, because it's coming up on the 10-year mark. 
you know? For Bonds? Well, it's no. Gonna be, no, he retired in 2007. Seven. Seven. Okay, so. So it's not that far away. Well, you know? the thing is, next year's class is already stocked, right? Next year is, is Pedro, Randy Johnson, John Smoltz, and I would assume Craig Biggio. Yeah. 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 Tim, uh, Tim Raines, and we're going to hear from him mm-hmm. because he spoke with TSN 1050 today, and we're going to play that interview after the break. But Gre- Tim Raines deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And he deserves Gre- to be next to Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and Frank Thomas, the big hurt, who played with Reigns. Yeah. Very frustrating. Greatness is something that can be measured over time. Often you look back in retrospect and you see a player and you say, wow, you know, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame or and it should be open to everybody. Why is there a limit on it? I don't understand that. Anybody should be at any given moment. Because if you look back in time, there were some mistakes made. Of course. Shoeless Joe Jackson, Jackson, Pete Rose. I mean, these are mistakes that, that we've made. Ron Santo. Ron Santo, yeah, barely. Guy sat there. He loses his legs. Yeah. All he wants to do is get in the Hall of Fame. They know he's good enough, and the Veterans Committee sits on their hands year after year after year until mm-hmm. he dies. Yeah. You know what? Much like the Hockey Hall of Fame, who seems to allow anybody in that's touched a puck. Mm-hmm. That's looked at a puck. Yeah. Except for Pat Burns. Yeah. And they waited for him to die. Yeah. There are some things that are so frustrating. And there's the Hall of Fame does a great job of having the Hall of Fame and Museum in the same building. So the the Hall of the with the plaques is in one spot. And then this shrine to the history of baseball is in the rest of the building. Mm-hmm. And in that shrine to baseball are Bonds artifacts. Are Pete Rose artifacts. Huge Pete Rose. Joe Jackson display. artifacts. Yeah. They don't. It's different. Mm-hmm. They are looking at the history of the game. The steroid era is a part of the game's history. The same way that amphetamines were a part of the game's history in the 60s and 70s. And I'm not trying to knock him, and I hope you don't think that it's coming out that way. It's not intended. How many home runs did Hank Aaron hit? High on greenies. Mm-hmm. How yeah. many did Willie Mays hit? Willie Mays was the guy whose locker people would go to to get the amphetamines. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well. It- and, and and the same thing. Tim Raines had a cocaine problem. Like a lot of people you know. And he got better. He could have gone the route of Alice Valentine and been out of baseball. And he didn't. He turned it around. And much, much thanks to Andre Dawson. And Rain should be in the Hall of Fame next to him. And we have to figure out a way as Montrealers and as Expos fans and as lovers of the game of baseball to right this wrong and convince the baseball writers of America that Tim Raines has a rightful place in Cooperstown. And you know what? It's going to be a lot easier of a sell than Bonds. And how messed up is that? <laughs> Very messed up. It, the, the thing is, it's the it's it's the hypocrisy of it all. Right. The right. You, you know that when I went to to Cooperstown, when I went to the Hall of Fame with me, uh, yeah, with you and the rest of the, the bus day we met. The day we met. Do you know that I didn't even go into the room where the plaques were? Oh, you're kidding me! Didn't even go. Didn't have to. You were, they they yeah. all look the same. Right. I know all the names. Right. right. I know all the names. In fact, it makes more of an impression when you walk in and you see this huge, beautiful display for Pete Rose. 
Yep. Before you see anything from Babe Ruth or Tris Speaker or any of these guys, of course you see the artifacts from these guys, but they've got this whole thing lined up. And one of the big, and the biggest picture of Pete Rose is him in an Expos uniform. I don't remember that. You don't remember that? No. Well, that's because we went to the bar before we went in. That's true. And yeah. I, and I've been back a couple of times since, and the <laughs> exhibitions do change constantly. Yes, they do, and it depends on who's being. You know, there was a lot of Expo, Expos memorabilia. Uh, on display because it was relevant because Andre Dawson was being inducted. Right. But at the right, same Right. Whereas the last time I was there, it was a celebration of the 100th anniversary of Fenway Park. So yeah. they were getting everybody to write down their favorite memories from Fenway Park. Right. Mine was at the Stones with Mitch. Right. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is just proof that the whole idea of inducting somebody to the Hall of Fame and getting their name on the plaque and letting them have a speech is an exercise in being spiteful. It, it, it's, it is. That's what it is. It's there for people to pick and choose who are their friends and who are not. Yeah, but it's the difference between being able to say my uniform's in the Hall of Fame and I'm in the Hall of Fame. And that's what the difference is. It, it's Pete Rose's cleats and bat and ball and jockstrap and are in hair. the Hall of Fame. Yes. And hair. Yeah. But not Pete Rose. Yes. Yeah. That's the big difference. Pete Which, Rose can't sign autographs HOF after his name like Andre Dawson can now, and like Tim Raines should. And I'm really hoping uh, you guys stick around to listen to this conversation from TSN 1050 with Bruce Arthur and Tim Raines. Raines says a couple of very interesting things. A few less years to worry about it, Ugh. I think is how he's looking at it. Ridiculous. Yep. Ridiculous. We're going to have to start a rally. We're going to have to start something, Jay, and we're going to figure it out. We're going to uh, do something with Expos Nation, and we're going to figure out the right way to do this mm -hmm. because there is a right way to do this. But Tim Raines should be in the Hall of Fame. Not even a question. Bonds, I'm happy to have the debate with you. But there's no debate on Tim Raines. And if you want to blame Coke, then kick Paul Molitor out too. A few more than that. First ballot Hall of Famer. This is TSN 690. We'll be back with Bruce Arthur's conversation with future Hall of Famer Tim Raines. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is TSN 690's Game Night OT. Dave Kaufman, Jay Farrar, John Kakalakis, and the birthday boy, Jimmy G. We're now going to play you TSN 1050's interview this afternoon. Dave Naylor and Bruce Arthur in conversation with future Hall of Famer Tim Raines. And after on the Kaufman Show, we will play the interviews, sorry, the speeches from three of Tim Raines' future classmates. Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, and the big hurt, Frank Thomas. Uh, hits 307 times in his career, had an on-base percentage of 400 plus five times, stole 70 bases six consecutive years, stole 40 or more five additional times, uh, almost 4,000 when you include hits and bases on balls, almost 4,000 on bases. Uh, the one and only Tim Raines joining us now. Tim, how are you doing? Not bad. How are you guys doing? Very good. Um, does it? When we call you up to talk about the Hall of Fame, does it get frustrating because there are so many people like myself think you should be in there? Well, it never gets frustrated. You know, I think uh, just to know that people are talking about it uh, is exciting for me. You know, when I, when I started playing in 79, I never thought that uh, anyone would be talking about the Hall of Fame as far as uh, when it came to me, but uh, it's, it's been cool, really. I mean, 
you know, to know that uh, I played 23 years in the big leagues and had fun, you know, doing doing it for 23 years, to know that uh, there is a chance that uh, I could get in. Tim, I'm also a longtime supporter of your candidacy. I think it'll be a crime if you don't get in. But you got up to about, I think, 52% two years ago in the voting. You need to get to 75. You dropped down to 47. Usually with guys, there's a long climb up, and they get closer and closer and closer. Did it, I don't know how closely you follow this year to year, but did it surprise you at all that you, at, at, as of right now, peaked two years ago in terms of the voting? Oh, it doesn't surprise me. I, I, I thought the, the guys that uh, the new guys that are on the ballot had a chance to get in, and I think what happens is, you know, when you when you put new guys on the ballot, then you know those those voters that was voting for certain guys don't vote for those guys that year, mm-hmm. and uh, you know then you might lose votes because of that. So I, I don't I don't uh, look at it in, in any bad way. Uh, I just feel that uh, if it was meant to be, it's, it's meant to be. And um, you know, I, I, uh, my fingers are getting cramped from being being crossed <laughs> every year. But other than that, you know, it's uh, it's it's a process and uh, something that I'm going through. And and I think uh, as a player, I, I would love to be going through this process than to not even have my name on the ballot. Really, it's not, sorry. In terms of the changes they've made to the Hall of Fame voting. The the whole notion that players now, other than three grandfathered players, instead of 15 years on the ballot, they're on for 10. This is going to hurt your candidacy, it sounds like, Tim, which is, which is an awful thing. And it's going to hurt your candidacy partly because, I think a lot of us agree, that this change is being made in order to keep guys who are on performance-enhancing drugs out of the hall, or at least give them a worse chance of getting in. So you may get caught in this clash between eras. Um, I, you, you seem so sanguine about this. You seem like you've got a really good handle on this. But that's got to frustrate you a little, doesn't it? Well, like I said, I, mean, I don't really think it frustrates me. I think, you know, if I would have maybe did a little bit more, I might be in by now already. So, you know, <laughs> um, you know I, I feel like I got up to 50%, you know, and, and uh, obviously that's, something a lot of guys hadn't been able to do uh, that, you know, that has been on the ballot. So, you know, maybe maybe one year they will come to their senses and say, okay, this guy really deserves to get in and let's get him in or or not. So, you know, 10 years, I think I think it'll be five less years that I won't have to worry about it if, if I don't get in. So, you know what I mean? The one and only Tim Raines joining us here on TSN Drive. It was probably more therapeutic for me than anybody else, but every year when they would pass on Andre Dawson, I would call Andre and I would have him on the show, and it would drive me insane that he was passed over. You two are good friends. Has has he Does he call you after the numbers come out to say, look, I went through this, uh, there's still a good shot you're going to get in? He has, he has, and he's been great. You know, he's been great. And he told me, say, hey, hey, hey uh, he calls me homie. He goes, homie, you know, it's a process. You know, uh, I've been through it. I think you're gonna get in. So just, you know, just, just be calm, and and uh, you know, I think eventually it's gonna happen. So I mean, that's that's my boy. That's, that's my best friend in baseball, and. He's actually in there, so he kind of knows what's kind of going on in in the hall himself. So, 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, you can only think positive, and, uh, you know, that's about all you can do. It's out of your hands. You know, my, my, my staff's not going to ever change. So, you know, like I said, if it was meant to be, I, I think it'll happen. If not, then it won't, you know. Tim, if you were going to make your case to to be in the Hall of Fame, we've already made it because the numbers are awesome. I, I think you're the greatest leadoff hitter in the history of the National League at the very least. But if you were going to say, this is why I should be in the Hall of Fame in a sentence or two, what would you say? I don't even know. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I, it, it, it'll be, it, it's hard to kind of, you know, I, I played the game in a way I felt like it was supposed to be played. Um, I felt like I was a team player. I felt like I did, you know, everything I needed to do to help my team win. Um, and I think that's all you can ask from ask for from a player. And uh, I did it for a long time. So I, I just think that, you know, you look at the stats, I think my stats speaks for itself. I mean, you don't see the 3,000 hits or you don't see a 1,000 stolen bases, but you see all those stats really – up there with with just about all types of players. Mm-hmm. I'm just a leadoff guy, you know. I was a leadoff guy in majority of my career, but if you look at my stats, I don't think there's many other leadoff guys other than maybe Ricky Henderson and, and a few, mm-hmm. you know, guys that are already in there uh, that even compare. So, you know, I you know it's according to what they're looking at. It's according to what uh, what you know their if you know their definition of a Hall of Famer is. Um, and, and it's to the writers. I mean, the writers look at things uh, in their own individual way. So, um, you know, my case has, has been done for, you know, 10 years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know what more to, to add. Of course, I can't add anything. And um, like I said, you know, took Andre Dawson 13 years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm hoping that uh, – that day will come for me one day. Tim, I want to ask you about the, the state of the game today because I am a, a big fan of small ball. And in your era with you and Ricky Henderson and guys like LaFleur and Moreno and Coleman and, and Willie Wilson, the stolen base was a bigger part of the strategy of the game than it is now. Why is that, in your opinion? Well, I think, I think um, you know, I think nowadays teams are going more for a three-run homer. Yeah. I think teams are setting back way, you know, they have a lot of big boppers in their lineup. You know, it seems like, uh, you know, your third and fourth place hitters are, are guys that once one in the back could, could, you know, could drive in runs. And I think teams are afraid that, that the players aren't running enough nowadays to, to, to take chances that, you know, being thrown out on the bases when you got guys coming up behind them that can, can drive them in. Tim. But that's how those teams are built, though. I mean, yeah. I think oh, those sure. teams are built that way, you know. And I think, you know, times have changed to where, you you know, there's not as many guys in the big leagues that, that have that type of ability. Now, if you were playing today and stolen bases were de-emphasized, speed was de-emphasized in that way, how would that change your game, do you think? Uh, it, 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 would, it, would, it, it would probably... They would have to move me from the leadoff position to another position. You know, I felt like I was I was a good enough hitter to to be mm-hmm. able to you know hit in the second spot or even the third slot. I mean, I even hit fourth one year for the Expo. So mm-hmm. um, I wasn't just uh, you know a guy that couldn't drive in runs. 
I mean, I drove in runs as well as, you know, I had a few home runs. Not that I wasn't a home run hitter, but, um, you know, I was a player that can, can make the adjustment to, to, to play the game, you know, whichever way they wanted me to play. I mean, uh, I had a good eye to play. You know, I drove in runs. So uh, it wouldn't have been that big a deal for me. Final question. Do you think Montreal will ever get another major league team? I, I certainly hope so. I yeah. mean, in my heart and soul, is still in Montreal, and I'm hoping one day that eventually they would get a team back because it really wasn't Montreal's fault that they ended up losing their franchise. So um, there's still, they're still fans there. They're, they're still hoping. Uh, I'm the same way. I'm still a fan. I'm still hoping. And uh, if it does happen, hopefully I can be a part of that. Tim, a huge fan. Thank you so much for doing this, and uh, we wish you nothing but success trying to get into the Hall of Fame. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Welcome to the Kaufman Show, Dave Kaufman and Jay Farrar. We have a very special night ahead for you. We're going to play all of the Hall of Fame speeches from over the weekend in Cooperstown, starting with really the one of the great Hall of Fame speeches of all time, the big hurt, Frank Thomas. Give me a second. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Commissioner, Ms. Jane Ford-Clark. Today, I would like to thank the National Baseball Hall of Fame and the baseball writers for selecting me as a first ballot selection in this 2014 Hall of Fame class. I'm so humbled and honored to be a part of this historic class of first ballot Hall of Famers, to share the stage in front of all the legendary men who made the game better for us all. I'm speechless. I want to personally thank you all for being great role models and making this great game what it is today. Hard work, dedication, and commitment. No shortcuts to success. Thanks for having me in your club. I would like to thank my parents, Charlie Mae Thomas, who's here today, and the late Frank Thomas Sr. for giving me the love and support that kept me involved in team sports in a lovely town, Columbus, Georgia. I would also like to thank my parents for working so hard to instill core values, to make the best of life. We didn't have much, but my parents worked tireless for me and my four siblings. Frank Sr., I know you're watching and smiling from heaven. Without you, I know 100% I wouldn't be here in Cooperstown today. Thanks for pushing me and always preaching to me. You can be someone special if you really work at it. I took that to heart, Pops. Look at us today. We're a long way from Columbus, Georgia. Mom, thanks for hanging in there and believing in the same vision. I know it wasn't easy, but I thank you for all the motherly love and support. Raising all the love is tough. But you and Dad made sure we made it. You guys made it look easy for us, and I thank you and I love you, Mom. Thank you. I would now like to thank my beautiful wife, Megan, and my five wonderful children. Sterling, Sloan, Sydney, Frankie, and Ashley Kate for making life so unforgettable for me. I know... I know all five of you are different 
and our Father, you complete me day by day. That's what makes me feel so blessed. You guys are my everything. There are no words to describe how much I love you guys. I especially want to say thanks, Megan, for coming into my life 15 years ago. When we met, life was throwing me a curveball, one that I could not hit. But meeting you really put pep in my step and made me believe in love again. I thank you for teaching me the value of family first. I thank you. You took my three older, older kids in immediately as your home and changed my world forever. I know this wasn't easy, but you proved your love for me day one. I'm so blessed to be married to such a beautiful, wonderful person. You complete me. I love you, babe. I would like to thank my siblings for all the love and support. My older sister, Gloria, Mary, Sharon, and Michael. I can't name all my extended family and friends. I know you're here, and I love you guys. But thank you for coming. My older brother, Michael, thanks for being my best friend and for always having my back. Mike World, I can tell you everything. And you always have advice from me. Some good and some bad. But thanks for always being honest. I love you, bro. In life, you have infrastructure. I would like to thank my team, who has kept me grounded and in touch with reality from day one. First, the late Robert Fraley. I know you're not here, my friend, but thanks for launching my career and giving me professional guidance you gave me. It's priceless. Robert, you once said to me, life is not fair. You have to work hard to earn your respect. You were so right. I thank you for being honest with me. I know you're somewhere in heaven, directing traffic, because that's what true leaders do. I'd like to thank Frank Bumstead. I thank you for becoming my father figure in my life after I lost my father. Robert Fraley introduced us, and without you, I have no clue where I would be today. I love you, man. Taryn Anderson, thank you for dealing with me on a daily basis. Keep me straight. I appreciate everything you do, because I know it's not easy. Thank you. And Lisa Rabicki, I thank you for managing my life for 16 long years. Without you, my career could have fell off a long time ago. I thank you for keeping everyone in check. You did a wonderful job. Thank you, Lisa. Also, I'd like to thank Arne Tellman, Joel Wolf, for picking up the pieces late in my career and guiding me to new beginnings in Oakland and Toronto. I thank you guys. Now, I would like to thank the Chicago White Sox organization for drafting me into professional baseball. Special thanks to Jerry Reinsdorf, Eddie Einhorn, Larry Himes, Al Goldis, Howard Pizer, and Mike Rizzo for taking a chance on a kid from a small town with many big dreams. Jerry, thanks for a long and wonderful ride in that Chicago White Sox uniform. You did a lot for me, and you still mean a lot to me. Thank you, my friend. Also, I would like to thank all my general managers and managers along the way in Chicago. Ron Schuler, Danny Evans, Jeff Torbord, Gene Lamont, Terry Bevening, and Kenny Williams. Jerry Manuel, and a special thanks to Ozzie Ginn. 11 years as a teammate, three years as a manager, and I can thank you for getting me my only ring because 
We had that special bond for many years. I thank you, Ozzy. Thank you very much. A special thanks goes out to Ken Hawk Harrison. Hawk, thanks for pinning me to Big Hurt. Your nickname for me really changed my life forever. Hawk, I'd also like to thank you for being a friend and a source of guidance all those years, on the plane, through the ups and downs, through the good and bad times. It was priceless picking your brain. Thank you, Hawk. I would like to thank the Oakland A's and the Toronto Blue Jays for believing in me as a free agent and signing me into the organization. Lou Wolf, Billy Bean, Dave Forrest, thanks for taking a chance on me twice. That 2000 season was magical. Without it, I doubt I would be speaking here today. J.P. Ricciardi, Alex Anthropoulos, I thank you and the wonderful Toronto organization for bringing me to Toronto. Hitting number 500 in that Blue Jay uniform was a dream. Thanks for taking a chance on a 39-year-old. I really appreciate that. In my career, I had so many magical moments in all three uniforms. It was a career filled with great memories of great people in all three organizations. I will always be thankful for all of you. I would like to thank all the coaches who really made me tick and put in many hours of hard work with me. You know, I forget, couldn't forget you guys. Bobby Howard, I know you're here somewhere. It started with you. You made me grow up in a hurry. Your no-nonsense approach to the game was needed at an early age. Winning was the only option. You preached that, and you made me work for it. Playing for you set my foundation for life. Love you, and I thank you. I would like to thank Pat Dye, Jay Jacobs, Hal Baird. Under your guidance at Auburn University, I became a man. You guys pushed me to new heights and instilled toughness and a will to win that I really never knew existed. Coach Baird, thanks for treating me like a pro before my time. I thank you, my friend. I know you couldn't make it here today, but I thank you. Coach Dye, that's the same. I know you couldn't make it either, but I really thank you for letting me play both sports. The decision changed my life. I thank you for letting me follow my dreams. Your passion for what's right led me to my career path in baseball. I thank you, Coach Dye and Wardell Eagle. And this is a tough one. I have a special love for this man, Walt Reniak. My favorite hidden coach of all time. I thank you for being honest from day one. You taught me to only want to be the best. You would always say to me, anyone can be good, Frank. But the special ones want to be great. Our work sessions were very consistent every day. It didn't matter if we were 10 for 10 or over 10. It was the same process every day. No freelancing. Consistency and dedication was what made you tick. And I'm so grateful for your tutelage. Having you first in the big leagues made it difficult for me when you left. Preparation for games wasn't the same anymore. But I can always remember you saying, keep your effing head down and finish, Frank. Thanks, Walter. Without you, I know I wouldn't be here in Cooperstown today.
Thanks to my other coaches who put in time with me. Sorry I can't ramble all day. I've been told by the, the rookie has to hurry up. Doug Manzalino, Mike Gallinger, Ron Jackson, Greg Walker, Gary Ward, Tom Pichord, Gerald Perry, Ron Washington, Ken Maka, John Gibbons, Mickey Bradley, Wallace Johnson, Dave LaRoche, Joe Nasek, Caveman Art Kushner, Mark Salas, Tommy Thompson, the late Kevin Hickey, Chet Demedio, Steve Rogers, Walt Pasternak, Alan Thomas, Clarence Cockrell, and Donovan Santos. And a special thanks to my friend Jim Fanning. I know you're here somewhere, Jim. You taught me to live in the zone, on and off the field. And even today, I thank you, buddy. A heartfelt, a heartfelt thanks to all my trainers. Thanks for all the hard work getting me to the post every day. Harm Snyder, I thank you for all the overtime you put in with me, my friend. 16 years of TLC. Harmy, thanks, my man. You gave me the best professional care in and, in and out, year in and year out. I'm so appreciative of you. Mark Anderson, Brian Ball, Larry Davis, Steve Soupy Sales, Walt Horn, George Poulos, my main man, George Poulos, Dave Abraham, Scott Takao, Amy George, and Tim Soder. I thank all of you for your, for your help along the way. Just like I said, special thanks to my clubhouse managers. I know they never get any love. Clubhouse managers, PR managers, traveling secretaries, the late chicken Willie Thompson, Vinny Fresho, Gabe Morrell, Steve Vucinich, Jeff Ross, Scott Reifert, Jay Steinhaus, Glenn Rosenbaum, Mickey Morabito, Mike Shaw. I thank you all for taking care of me. You all were great at what you do. Thanks for all the love. Got a, I want to have a special thanks to all my doctors. I couldn't include all of you today. But a, a few of you, I have to say, thanks again. James Boscarton, Dr. Price, Lowell Wild Sr., and Dr. Elliot Swartz. I know Elliot is here. Thank you for what you did for me in Oakland. You're a friend and a buddy. But I have to say one special thank you to Dr. Richard Ferkel. Yes, Dr. Ferkel is here. You repaired my navicular fracture when everyone said I was done. I was sitting at 452 home runs, and you looked at me and said, I'm going to get you back on the field. You never doubted putting me back there, and you helped me finish my career. And getting to Cooperstown, Dr. Ferkel also said, I, I never thought it would happen, but I thank you. You meant so much to me, and, and you mean more to me now today as a friend. Thank, thank you, Dr. Dr. Ferkel. You know, getting here was a reflection of my teammates. You can't win any game without teammates, and I had the best of them, over 850 of them in my time. Getting here was a serious reflection of their talents. I don't have all day here. I only have 10 minutes. I might be over. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm an emotional guy because I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. So I'm going to give my guys a, a verbal montage. Please bear with me. One dog, Rock, Grayback, RV, Ozzy, Joey, Push, Carco. Psycho Lines, Bolt, Ellis, Blackjack, The Deacon, Sugar Ray, Alex, Wilson, Beret, Roberto, Thiggy, James Baldwin, Billy Bob, Burley, Hot Rod. Thanks for the program, Hot Rod. Devo, Maglio, Carlos, Roe, Jermaine Dye. He's here today. Along with Aaron Rowan. Ivan, Phil, Paulie, Creedy, Uribe, Charles Johnson, Sandy, T. Phillips, Harold, Melito, Howery, Folk, Mike Jackson, Flash, Kenny, Sandy, A.J., Robbie, McElroy, Marulo, Spanky, Julio, Willie Chill, Singleton, Mouton, Davey, El Duque, Fordyce, Leifer, G. Bell, C. Everett, Danny Pasqua, DJ, McCaskill, Paul, Paul Huff, Valentin, Abbott, 
Dibble Rags, Cammy, Cammy Cam, John Crook, Sirocco, McGrain, Freeman, Cruder, Norton, Tartable, D. Lou, Scott Air, Navarro, Bradford, Castillo, Mark Johnson, Garland, Lowe, Eldred, Graffinino, Marte, Bartolo, Cotts, Glover, Luiza, Contreras, Freddie, Polite, I know it's long, I'm sorry, Jinx, Lee, B.A., Pasednik, Blanton, Kiko, Duke, Godan, Harden, Heron, Kase, the late Joe Kennedy. Left the suit too soon, special friend of mine. Sarlos, Houston, Zito, Kendall, Mel Hughes, Swisher, Shabby, Crosby, Ellis, DJ, Scooter Rowe, Milton Kilty, Jay Payton, Doc Halliday, Accardo, AJ Downsey, Frazier, Rios, Casey League, McGowan, Mark, and BJ Towers, A. Hill, Vernon, Johnny Mack, Lindo, Reed, Raja, and Big Red. Yeah, it was real. You guys are my family away from home. I miss all of you. I'm glad to have known all of you. I'm sorry I couldn't name the rest of you guys. I'll probably be getting hit on the back of the head right now from the guys in the back. But I thank you, man. In closing, I would like to say thank you to the city of Chicago. You guys made the big hurt who he was in the greatest sports town in America. I know I'm biased, but I thoroughly enjoyed every moment playing for you all. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oakland and Toronto, I thank you for great fan bases, also for making me feel at home. It was short-lived, but I appreciate the love from both of your great cities. To all you kids out there, just remember one thing from today. There is no shortcuts to success. Hard work, dedication, commitment, stay true to who you are. God bless you all, and I thank you. Welcome back to the Kaufman Show. We're now going to play the Hall of Fame speech for the first ever NHL draft pick to make the Hall of Fame. We've seen him pitch so many times in this city. Tom Glavin. Thank you. Okay, my, my first, order, first order of business that everybody told me up here, when you get up here, just take a deep breath. So, okay, I'm good. I want to, what an honor and a privilege it is to be here today as an inductee into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I want to thank the baseball writers for voting for me. I want to thank Jane Forbes-Clark, Jeff Idelson, Brad Horn, Whitney Silover, and all the folks at the Baseball Hall of Fame for making this an unbelievable experience for me and my family. Little did I know as a kid, when I used to think it was a good idea to stand on the front porch of my parents' house and throw snowballs over the trees trying to hit cars passing by, little did I know how far my left arm was going to take me at that time. Needless to say, there was one passerby that was less than pleased with my accuracy. He had a conversation with my mom. The wait until your dad gets home scenario played out. And after a good talking to, needless to say, my snowball throwing days were over. We all figured I could come up with a, a better, more productive way to work on my accuracy, so I think that was probably the start of the painted square on the chimney outside my parents' house. I'm honored to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame with such a great group of men, Frank Thomas, Joe Torre, Tony LaRussa, and of course, my longtime teammate and manager, Greg Maddox and Bobby Cox. All of you guys represent what is great about the game of baseball. With your competitiveness, it's no surprise that you're all here today. Congratulations to all of you guys. I'm humbled to be a part of this class with you.
I'd like to take an extra minute to thank Greg and Bobby. It's hard to imagine, as I've said over and over, that a day like this could get any better. But for me, it does. To have the opportunity to go into the Hall of Fame with these two guys, two guys that had such a profound impact on me as a person and on my career. Bobby from the managerial side, teaching me to respect the game, teaching me how to play the game the right way, how to go about my business and represent my organization. And I can't tell you, I'll, I'll echo Smoltzy's word in that video, I can't tell you how good he was at pumping you up all the time. I can't tell you how many times I would pitch a bad game and I'd read the newspaper the next day and read Bobby's comments and I'd think, A, what game were you watching and how did I not win? <laughs> Bobby, thank you so much for all your guidance. Appreciate everything you did for me. Greg, as a teammate and as a friend, you made me better through our conversations. You made me better by watching you pitch. And you made me wealthier with all the money we took from Smoltzy on the golf course. <laughs> we all have choices to make in life. And in June of 1984, I was an 18-year-old kid enjoying high school graduation and looking forward to going to college. Within a span of a couple weeks, I had the good fortune of being drafted by the Los Angeles Kings of the NHL and the Atlanta Braves. I had a difficult choice to make, and as a left-handed pitcher, I thought that was the thing that would set me apart and make baseball the smartest decision. Of course, I always wonder what would have happened had I taken up hockey. And in my mind, of course, since I was drafted ahead of two Hall of Famers, Luke Robitaille and Brett Hall, that obviously means I would have been a Hall of Famer in hockey, too. So, but clearly I'm, 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 I'm positive I made the right choice. I'm sure as I'm standing here, uh, and like I said, I'm honored to be here and be a part of the, of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Seems hard to believe it's been 30 years since I sat at my parents' kitchen and signed my professional contract to go play for the Atlanta Braves. Sitting, me, sitting with me there that day, Tony DeMacio and Paul Snyder from the Braves saw something in me that compelled them to convince the Braves to take a chance on me. I doubt they projected me as a future Hall of Famer, but nonetheless, they saw enough to give me a chance. And for that, Paul, Tony, thank you very much. Perhaps part of what they saw was that the work ethic that was certainly prevalent in my house and in my hometown of Villarica, Massachusetts, Actually, I said that wrong. It's Bill Ricca, sorry. I put too many E's and R's in there. We don't do that up there. I know there's a huge crowd here today from Bill Ricca. I want to thank you guys not only for being here today, but I want to thank you guys for your support throughout my career. I know so many of you put your allegiance for our beloved Red Sox on hold during my career, but I promise you your secret is safe with me, so thank you very much. I was blessed to have a tremendous support team around me throughout my career, people that helped me to keep things in order and keep things in perspective. My agent and good friend, Greg Clifton, was so helpful with his advice and his representation over the years. Greg, thank you so much for all your help and for your friendship. My good friends, Rose Cortina and Scott Merrill, who helped me to be smart, frugally, and financially. All you guys were so helpful in, in taking my mind off of so many things and helping me to be able to concentrate on the game of baseball, so thank you for that. I'll piggyback on Greg's comments. I had three dear friends also over the years in Atlanta who helped keep me on the field. 
Dr. Joe Chandler. Joe, to this day, you have not missed a spot when I needed a cortisone shot. <laughs> Dave Persley and Jeff Porter, the longtime trainers with the Braves, you guys spent countless hours taking care of me and so many other guys. I honestly felt bad at times in certain years with the amount of time I would have to spend on the training room table to try and get ready for my next start. But you guys were always so patient and so helpful and you did everything you could to get me back out there and for that I appreciate it. And the same holds true for my dear friend Mike Herbst, the trainer with the New York Mets while I was there. Same thing, Mike, thank you for all your time and your, and your efforts to keep me healthy and keep me on the field. I had a couple goals in mind each time I put on the uniform. The first was to represent the logo on the front. That meant to play hard, play the game the right way, and give it your all whenever you stepped on the field. As the old saying goes, play hard because you never know who's watching you for the first time. The second part was to not embarrass the name on the back. I wanted to represent my parents to the best of my ability. They worked hard to earn the respect that they had in our community, and I wanted to do everything I could to protect that. I'm so proud whenever I hear somebody say to me, you must have had great parents, because when I hear that, I know I'm representing them well. I do have great parents. They took me everywhere I needed to be for both hockey and baseball. They never missed a practice or a game. Oftentimes, I'd hear my dad leaving before dark in the morning so he could get, get to work, get his work done, and get home for my game later that day. They were and they are a great team. People always ask me where I got my qualities from, my, hard, my work ethic I got from my dad, and as much as my mom hates to hear it, Mom, I'm sorry, I got my stubbornness from you. <laughs> I always marveled at how they were able to get all of us kids where we needed to be. I can honestly say, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Red Sox or Bruin, I didn't care. I loved Bobby Orr, I loved Yaz, I loved Pudge, Jim Rice. But my role models were, and always have been, my parents, Fred and Millie. They gave me the two best things you could ever ask for as a kid. They gave me their time and their example. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and I've always said that if I can be half the parent to my kids that my parents were to me, I will have been successful. I'm blessed to have had your support and your example. You've been the greatest influence in my life. I know I made you proud as a baseball player. I hope, and more importantly, I've made you even more proud as a son and a father. To say, to say thank you would never be enough, but thank you so much for your love and support. I couldn't have done this without you guys. I love you guys. Thanks also to my sister Deb and my brothers Fred and Mike. You guys have always been a great supporting cast. When you play for 20 years, there are a lot of ups and downs, and after all, I did two, lose 203 games in my career, so there were a lot of downs. You guys were always there for me whenever I needed it, even if it was as simple as a phone call. I love you guys, and thank you for your support. I had the opportunity to play for two great organizations in my career, the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets. I had so many fantastic coaches and teammates who helped me to get here. Many of you are here in attendance today, and I thank you for your help along the way and for being here today. In the interest of time, I couldn't possibly thank everybody because if there's one thing I heard from these guys all weekend, it's been hurry up. So, 
I had so many great teammates, some who will be on this stage as well someday, as Smoltz, or as Doggy mentioned, our good friend Smoltz, you better be here next year, and there'll be more to come. I had teammates who, had made, who made great plays for me, got big hits, helped to get big outs, guys that were great examples, and guys that I learned a ton from through conversations. I appreciate all of your help, and I thank you for the role you played in helping me to get to this incredible honor. My two longtime pitching coaches, Leo Mazzoni. Leo, thank you so much. I got to tell you, when you first came to Atlanta with Bobby and you told me you were going to start throwing twice in, in between starts, I thought you were crazy because my arm already hurt at that time. So I wasn't really sure what throwing more was going to do, but boy, did that help. You helped me to understand my mechanics. You helped me to become my own pitching coach. And that ultimately became my goal every game I went out on the mound, was not to have Leo come out and visit me at any point in time. Rick Peterson, later in my career with the Mets. Rick, you helped me to reinvent myself, make the changes I needed to make for the latter part of my career, which, trust me, when you were doing something for 16, 17 years, it's not an easy thing to change. But you, you talked me into it, you convinced me of it, and you gave me confidence to do it. So, Leo, thank you so much for your help. Rick Peterson, thank you for your help. To all the folks associated with the Mets organization, thank you for treating me and my family the way you did. Thank you, Fred and Jeff Wilpon, for the opportunity to play in New York and for providing the resources so I could experience a postseason there. To the fans of New York, thank you so much for your support and for ultimately treating my, me and my family with so much respect. Playing for Ted Turner was a treat, and when I say it was a treat, it was a treat. Thank you, Ted, for providing the likes of John Sherholt, Stan Kasten, and Bobby Cox to lead our organization. Thank you for providing the resources to get the players that enabled us to have such an unbelievable run of success. It was such a thrill and so much fun to be a part of putting Atlanta back on the map in the game of baseball. Thank you to all the fans here from Atlanta today. Your support on and off the field has meant so much to me. I know there's a ton of you here today, and I know there's a ton of you at Turner Field today back in Atlanta watching this on TV as well. Thank you guys so much. I've, Atlanta has become my home. I have so many great friends there now, many of whom are here today, and I am truly, truly grateful and honored for your support and your friendship. My best, teammate, my best teammate and my best friend of all, though, happens to be my wife, Chris. In my case, the saying behind every great, a great, a good man is a great woman is definitely true. As a young player, it's easy to be selfish and only worry about yourself in baseball. Often, my sister would call me before spring training if she needed something for a, for a charity event or an auction that was coming up during the baseball season, and she'd say, you know, I know if I don't call you and bug you now, once spring training starts, it's going to be impossible. And she was right. When you have it, when you get to that, when you're at that point, it's all about you and it's all about baseball. Once you have a wife and a family, all that changes. It isn't about you anymore. I learned balance early in my career. I remember a hockey game as a kid that didn't go so well. And in the car on the way home, my dad wanted to talk about the game. He didn't want to criticize me, but he just wanted to have a conversation. So after a short time of me being less than pleasant in the conversation because things didn't go so well, my dad told me something that I've never forgot, and in fact, I've used on my kids today, and they'll attest to it. 
He said, you're going to go into that locker room with a smile on your face and you're going to come out with one or I'm not taking you anymore. I tried really hard to leave the game at the field. Chris was always great at recognizing when I needed a little space, when I needed some kind words, and certainly whenever I needed a kick in the butt. When you have kids, that balance is really tested. I can't tell you what a luxury it was to be able to leave for the ballpark totally freed up, knowing that there was a wonderful mom at home holding down the fort and then getting everybody where they needed to be. In reality, our wives are single, are single moms a lot of the time when you factor in travel and spring training. To this day, I don't know how Chris did everything she was able to do with me not around. From school carpools to kids' sports teams, everything was always handled perfectly, and that made my job so much easier. In addition, I'm so proud of her and what she's meant to our community in Atlanta. She's helped to raise over $4 million for Cure Childhood Cancer, raising money for much-needed research. She truly is one person making a difference. As I said, she's a great mom, and I couldn't be more proud of the job she has done raising our children. Jonathan, Amber, both in college now, can't believe it, uh, and doing very well. Peyton, Mason, and of course, our little guy, Keenan. I realize the sacrifices all you guys have made. <laughs> little ham. <laughs> I know it wasn't always easy. There were a lot of sacrifices, a lot of missed things throughout the years, but you guys handled it like champs. I'm so proud of you, and I love you guys so much. Chris, I've been blessed to have you as my wife. You're my best friend. You've been my rock. Thank you so much for all your love and support and for making my job so much easier. And finally, People have asked me a lot since I got the phone call how I thought I would feel when induction day finally arrives. My response had usually been, whatever I tell you won't scratch the surface of what I feel on that day. Safe to say I was right. To say that this day, this weekend, has been unbelievable would definitely be true. I don't think any of us up here ever thought that we would become Hall of Famers on the day we were drafted. I do believe that each of us up here worked hard to get the most out of our God-given talents and tried to be the very best that we thought we could be. The fact that we are here is a testament to that hard work and perseverance. Standing here today as a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame is the ultimate recognition of a career in baseball, a career that saw lots of ups and downs, lots of sacrifices on and off the field, and a more than a few times where I questioned what I was doing. There are no more questions. Only gratitude towards those that were so helpful along the way, my family, friends, coaches, and teammates. And thanks to God for giving me the talent and the work ethic and more than a little bit of stubbornness to see it through. I'm humbled to be a member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. I thank you all for being here and sharing in this day with me. Thank you very much. Welcome back to The Kaufman Show. Dave Kaufman and Jay Farrar here with you. Thank you for listening to this Hall of Fame special broadcast. We're now going to play Greg Maddox's Hall of Fame speech. Growing up, for me, Greg Maddox and Tony Gwynn were, were the pinnacle of what, what baseball was. And watching Maddox pitch was was really such a joy, something that, that was so important to me. I remember being at university and driving home six hours just so I could see Maddox pitch, driving straight from school to the Olympic Stadium. Here's Greg Maddox's Hall of Fame speech. 
Let me say first of all how grateful I am to be here. I would like to thank the Hall of Fame voters. It's obviously the biggest honor you can give to a ball player. To put me here in Cooperstown with all of my childhood heroes, it's sort of hard to believe I'm standing here today. I never gave a thought to the Hall of Fame as I was going through my career. My goal as a baseball player was very simple. All I wanted to do was try to get better for my next start. And to think it all ended up here, it's pretty cool. To have the long career I did, I really considered it, I never really considered it work because it was so much fun. The guys I played with and against, the coaches, managers, even the umpires were always great to be around. Those of us who play this great game and make a living at it are all extremely lucky. I would not be standing here today if it weren't for all the positive people I've had in my life. When I was six years old, my dad Dave was my first coach. He taught me to enjoy the game. He would hit my brother and I countless ground balls. He would hit my brother and I countless ground balls every day after work, and we had fun doing it. My brother Mike led by example. Everything I was about to do on and off the field, he had already done. I was very fortunate to have a brother that I could learn from. He even taught me a little bit about science. It has to do with a little methane and a, and a, and a lighter, and I still get a huge kick out of it today. <laughs> That's funny, huh? Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> My mother, Linda, who is here today, was the perfect mom. She drove us to practice after every game and made sure we were never late. I love her, and she is my biggest fan. As I entered my sophomore year in high school, I was lucky enough to have Ralph Meter as my first true pitching coach. He taught me my basic pitching fundamentals, movement, location, the ability to change speeds and velocity in that order. He said, you throw hard enough, but as you face better hitters, you're going to need more than just velocity to get hitters out. Movement and location will last longer than hard and straight. At first, just like any other kid, all I wanted to do was throw hard but as I matured, I realized how right he was. Roger Fairless, my coach at Valley High School in Las Vegas, taught me the work habits that I used my whole playing career. At age 17, Keith Clevin taught me how to take care of my arm, legs, and core. I didn't know then the impact Keith would have on my career until some 5,000 innings later with no arm problems. I thank him very much for keeping my body healthy throughout my entire career, and I consider him the best in his field. I'd like to thank my scout, Doug Mapson, who took a chance and signed me to my first contract. In the minor leagues, there were three coaches that helped me along the way. First, it was Rick Kranitz, who helped me with my changeup. Jim Wright helped me locate my fastball to both sides of the plate. And Dick Pohl, who taught me my delivery and started teaching me the basics on pitch selection. After arriving in Chicago, I married my high school sweetheart, Kathy. She took care of everything off the field, which allowed me to put all my focus on baseball. 
I'm lucky to be married to her, and I love her more today than when I first married her. My first day in the big leagues as starting pitchers were Nolan Ryan and Jamie Moyer. 20 minutes before the game, I was sitting on the bench, and my first manager, Gene Michaels, thought I was the bat boy. <laughs> the nickname stuck for a few years, but faded over time. Billy Connors asked me a question one day. He asked, do you ever wonder how good you can be? Of course, I said no. And uh, he said, why don't you go out there and try to find out? I've been trying to find the answer to that question every day since. Don Zimmer made me realize there was a difference between winning and pitching just good enough to lose. After many failures in baseball, I met Harvey Dorfman. He taught me to focus on the things that only I could control. Those lessons spilled over into my personal life as well. I consider him to be one of the best coaches I've ever had. With the Cubs, I had the opportunity to play with Andre Dawson, Rick Sutcliffe, Ryan Sandberg, and two fine catchers, Damon Berryhill and Joe Girardi. The city of Chicago and all Cub fans were awesome, maybe the best in baseball. I was glad to be part of a division championship in 89, Although we didn't get to the World Series that year, playing all the home games at Wrigley Field were really special. With the help of Scott Boris, I moved on to Atlanta. I picked Atlanta because I finally wanted to get a World Series ring and start a family. All right, sorry Chicago, but yeah. <laughs> My wife Kathy really stepped her game up then as we started our family. Our daughter Paige and my son Chase. While I was on the road or at the park all day, my mind was at ease knowing things were okay at home. I don't know how she was able to balance the kids going to schools in both Atlanta and Las Vegas, but she did an amazing job with that. After many year misses, we finally got our ring in 95. which was great to share with our coaches, teammates, and the city of Atlanta. Bobby Cox, who I'm honored to be with on the DS today, led us to the promised land. Bobby taught us how to play winning baseball and enjoy our time away from the park. Thank God Dave Justice hit that big homer when he did and glad threw one more clutch game. No one wanted to win more than our pitching coach, Leo Mazzoni. He stressed that she... He stressed that she needed to pitch her 200 innings and everything will take care of itself from there. The next seven years were spent winning division titles, watching the kids grow up, watching John Smoltz's hairline recede. Smolsey remains one of my all-time best teammates, and I hope he joins Glav and me in Cooperstown shortly. (laughs) 
Javi Lopez, Eddie Perez, Charlie O'Brien, Paul Bacco were my catchers in Atlanta. And we used to get a nice chuckle when they get hit in the face by foul tips. I would like to thank my doctor, Joe Chandler, for making it easier for me to start every five days. I love Chicago so much the first time I played there that I was very grateful that Gary Hughes and Jim Hendry brought me back over to Chicago. That would give me a second chance to win there and maybe retire where it all started. But I wouldn't be a Cub if I couldn't handle a little heartache. And we missed the postseason by one game my first year back. I was thankful I got a chance to play for Dusty Baker and work with Larry Rothschild. I enjoyed throwing most of my games to Henry Blanco and Michael Barrett. And again, it was even funnier when they would get hit in the face. At the end, I spent time with the Dodgers and the Padres and was treated great in both places. I loved the California weather and being closer to Vegas. I enjoyed playing for both Joe Torre and Buddy Black, two great managers, and I learned more about throwing a changeup a better way from Darren Balsley. That was 24 years after first learning from Rick Kranitz. Just goes to show you that no matter how old you are, you're still looking to get better. People ask me why I have no Hall of Fame plaque, no logo, or why my Hall of Fame plaque has no logo. I spent 12 years in Chicago, 11 in Atlanta, and both places are very special to me. Without experiences in both cities, I would not be standing here today. On behalf of my family and all those I've mentioned, thank you for this incredible honor. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next Monday. Listen up, kid. It's not what you think. Stayed out too late. Had a little too much to drink. Walk home, cross the bridge. When the marquee shut down There's a reason that I love this town Nobody cares how much money you have If you've got enough to get in a cab There'll be drinks on the house If your house burns down There's a reason that I love this town I saw your band Shot the shit with miniature Tim. If he needs a tune, then I'll write one for him. We like the same books and we like the same sounds. There's a reason that I love this town. I played a show in Kelowna last year. Said, Pick it up, Joel. We're dying in here. Picture one hand clapping, then picture half that sound. There's a reason that I hate that town If you saw my band In the early days Then you
and me face down in our suit. Some French restaurant, I saw Riviera de Lou. Last night at the tour, we burnt the place to the ground. There's a reason that I love this town. There's a reason that I love this town. There's a reason that I love this town. Listen to the Kaufman Show on TSN 690 for Jay Ferrar. I'm Dave Kaufman, and we'll see you next week. Hmm. I don't know. that sound like